Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 21. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. If you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Okay, and you'll also see it uh, on the screens behind me. Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21. This is the reading of God's word. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as you know, this summer we are in a series called Unlearn and Relearn. And uh, the idea behind this series is, you know, we, we looked at 2020, and that was kind of a year that rocked all of our worlds, when we kind of had to uh, change the way we lived, to change the way we worked, to change the way we thought about community. And there was this kind of big process of unlearning and relearning that had to happen that's still happening right now. And um, living in the way of Jesus kind of feels like that. You know, I think a lot of times we think... Um, you know, salvation is this one-time singular moment in our lives, but really it's a lifetime of unlearning and relearning. I mean, I can tell you that as someone who's grown up in the church and now serving in this capacity, I'm still unlearning and relearning. I'm still learning what it means to live in the gospel. And, and you know, when you've kind of lived with a certain mindset your entire life, we all know it's really hard to change. Because we know old habits die hard, right? Um, you know, I'm still like very upset at myself because I, I can't use my chopsticks correctly. And I, I feel like I'm failing as an Asian anytime like I try to use my chopsticks. And no matter how hard I try, it's hard to change because when you've done something a certain way your entire life, you know, no matter how much you, you want to unlearn that, we know it's really hard. You know, when you've grown up your entire life, um, and you've heard in your childhood, you know, your parents say, we have no money, we're poor, we need to save, save, save. You think that mindset changes, you know, when you start making money? No. You know, I have friends who are very successful, make seven figures, and they're still trying to get like the two-for-one at Baskin-Robbins, okay? Because they, they just can't get out of that mindset, you know? Why do you think um, so, so many celebrities they, they kind of go through this weird thing uh, as they get older because when your entire life and your entire career, you've been told you're amazing, you're incredible, you're beautiful, and all of a sudden, you're no longer auditioning for the main character, you're auditioning for the main character's dad, it like does something to you, right? Because certain mindsets get ingrained in our minds and 
these things are so hard to correct. These things are so hard to unlearn. And today, we're going to a familiar passage in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to see Jesus confront maybe one of the most destructive mindsets that still defines our culture today, and it's the mindset of scarcity. Okay, scarcity. Uh, Scarcity is a term used a lot in economics, and it's this idea that there's a fixed amount of resources in the world, a fixed amount of time, money, land, respect, power. And, and because there's a fixed amount, uh, if you don't get it, uh, it's going to be gone. Like, they, these resources are finite, and you need to fight for a slice of the pie because there's not going to be enough for you if you don't do so, right? It's the idea that kind of drives capitalism, competition in the marketplace uh, where the strong survive and the weak, uh, you know, and the weak fail, you know, where one person's gain is another person's loss, where one person's success is another person's failure. And really, at the heart of this idea, at the core of this mindset of scarcity is this one idea that there is never enough. We're never rich enough. We're never thin enough. We're never popular enough. We're never successful enough. Our jobs are never satisfying enough. Our lives are never exciting enough. We never have enough. There are never enough resources to meet all of our needs and desires, so all of life becomes this rat race to hoard as many of these resources as possible, and we need to grab it because if we don't, it's going to be gone. You want to know what living with a mindset of scarcity looks like? Uh, it looks like Costco at the beginning of this pandemic, okay, where people were lining up at 4 a.m. for toilet paper, and they were stocking up on more toilet paper than they could use in a lifetime. But why? It's because when you're living with a mindset of scarcity, it doesn't matter how much you have, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's an American theologian, has this great essay called The Myth of Scarcity. And in it, uh, he makes the argument that the first time the world sees the principle of scarcity at, at work is actually in Genesis 41. And it's the story of Joseph and Pharaoh. And if you're familiar with that story, basically Pharaoh has this dream that there's going to be this uh, horrible famine in the land. So he calls Joseph in. He says, look, uh, it's going to get really bad. Uh, it's doom and gloom. And so I'm going to need you to take charge. I'm going to need you to control and monopolize the food supply. Whenever there's anything left over, I want you to hold on to it. Don't let it go. We're going to build these huge storehouses where you're going to store all the food. And when people need the food, and they're going to need it because there's going to be a famine, we'll sell it to them. Right? And Walter Brueggemann makes the argument that this is the first time in the Bible someone says, there's not enough. Let's get it all. Let's get everything. And believe it or not, I would say that you and I bring this mindset into almost every sphere of our lives. We bring this mindset that there's not enough money, there's not enough time, jobs, people. We buy into this notion that everything we value is in short supply, and we live our lives fearing that there won't be enough for me. The thing I hear most from single people at our church is, there's not enough for me. All the good ones are gone, right? Where, where are all the good people in the world? There's not enough. And so that's why when you watch a friend get one of the good ones, you're like, another one bites the dust. There's not enough for me. 
What do I do? And it's, it's this mindset that leads to so much stress, so much discontentment, and so much anxiety. And when you think about it, scarcity is the driving force behind some of the greatest evils our humanity has ever experienced. Genocide, colonization, racism, right? It's this idea that the world is not big enough for all of us. So we need to get ours, that in order for me to eat, you need to starve. In order for me to succeed, you need to fail. In order for me to survive, you need to die. Life becomes a zero-sum game where there is not enough of anything to go around, so we need to protect ours and protect number one, okay? Now let me show you how this mindset plays out in our text today. This miracle is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. So right there we know that there's something really fundamentally important about this that God wants to communicate with us. And you have to understand that the world the disciples were living in was a world of scarcity. The disciples were at the bottom of the food chain. There was, there was a clear distinction between the haves and the have-nots. They were always feeling like they had to fight for a slice of the pie. And so up to this point in the narrative, the disciples have already witnessed Jesus do some amazing things. They've watched him heal a leper. They've watched him calm a storm. They've watched him cast out demons. And yet here in Matthew 14, here they are again, surrounded by a large crowd. Jesus is healing the sick, and it's into the evening. And so the disciples run up to him, and they say, look, Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. It's getting really late. You got to send them away because there's not enough food. They got to go back. They got to go into the villages, send them away so they can buy some food. Now, that's really interesting, right? Because this is how the mindset of scarcity works. Your mind automatically will go to what you can't do, what you're not capable of, what you don't have. And even these disciples who've watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle, their first thought is not, Jesus, is there any way you can feed these people? Their first thought is, there's not enough. Send them away. I mean, how, how are we going to feed all these people? It's always what you can't do. And I love Jesus' response. He says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Right? Jesus was the first troll. Okay? He was trolling people before trolling even became a word. Right? Can you imagine the disciples looking at what they have? You give them something to eat. And they're looking around, and there are 5,000 men there. It says, besides women and children. So you have to understand, there are upwards of 15,000 people there. They're standing there with five loaves and two fish, and they're saying, what do you mean give them something to eat? We don't have anything. In verse 17, they say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Only five loaves of bread and two fish. What could we possibly do with this? It's not enough. And Jesus says, bring them to me. And he takes the five loaves, he takes the two fish, it says he, give, he gives thanks and he breaks the loaves and he begins to feed the people. And in verse 20, it says they all ate and were satisfied. The key word there is all. They all ate and were satisfied. And not only that, it says they collected 12 more basketfuls of food. Not only was there enough, there was more than enough. What the disciples saw as not enough Jesus looked out and said, that is more than enough with God. 
Who could possibly think that five loaves and two fish could feed all those people? I mean, if you put yourselves in the disciples' shoes, and if, if I'm in the story, I mean, you're probably saying to yourself, I mean, I don't know. I think that's unfair because, I mean, is there anybody in this world who could have thought that five loaves and two fish could feed upwards of 15,000 people? I don't know, Jason. That's a little, I don't know, that's a stretch. But I would make the argument that it wouldn't have mattered how many loaves and how many fish there were, the disciples would have still said it's not enough. There could have been 20 loaves and 20 fish, and the disciples would have still said it's not enough. And do you know why I know that? If you don't believe me, why is it that in every global study done over the past decade, it's always the wealthiest nations in the world who, rep who report the greatest levels of stress and anxiety? I want you to think about that. The wealthiest countries in the world always report the highest levels of stress and anxiety. Put another way, the people who have the most are always the ones who feel like they don't have enough. The people who have the most are always the ones who feel like they don't have enough. You see, a mindset of scarcity is not tied to your circumstances. It's tied to your perspective. A mindset of scarcity has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with how much you think you have. Big difference. That's what a mindset is. It's how much you think you have. And where a mindset of scarcity becomes very dangerous is when we begin to project that mindset onto God himself. When we believe that God has limited resources and that God withholds from his children. When we believe that because God blessed this one person, oh my gosh, that means he can't bless me. When we believe because God healed this one person, oh my goodness, of course he's not going to heal me. I mean, we've all done it, right? I'm sure many of us have prayed for our friends who needed a job, but we didn't pray really hard because we needed a job too, right? We were like, ah, you know, I don't want to pray too hard because there's not going to be jobs for me. Because our success is someone else's failure, someone else's gain is our loss, and we turn God into this God who, who practices affirmative action, right? Where like, you know, oh, I bless this family too much, so they're going to need to suffer for a little bit. Um, you know, I'm going to kind of spread the wealth around. We believe God has finite resources and that God withholds his blessings from us. Well, what's the alternative to this? What's the alternative to a mindset of scarcity? And it's a mindset of abundance. A mindset of abundance. It's a belief that God has limitless resources and is exceedingly generous with us. When Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven, holding the bread and fish, there is no question in his mind that God is going to provide. He probably doesn't know exactly how. He probably doesn't know exactly how much uh, left over there's going to be, but when he looks up, there is zero hesitation that God is going to provide because Jesus is operating with a completely different mindset. And he's going to give us two kind of litmus tests as to how we know we're living with a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of, of abundance. And here we see that you, you will know you are living with a mindset of abundance because this mindset manifests in two ways, gratitude and generosity. Okay, gratitude and generosity. First, gratitude. I love this little detail Matthew adds. When Jesus looks up to heaven, the first thing he says, he doesn't say, God, here goes nothing. 
Or God, you know, you could have given me a little bit more to work with than these, uh, you know, than this. No, it says he looks up to heaven and he gives thanks. The first litmus test to a mindset of abundance is a deep sense of gratitude, not for what you don't have, but for what you do have. Where your first thought is not, God, why don't I have this? But your first thought is, God, thank you for what I do have. And I'm not talking about like toxic positivity where we ignore our problems and we just ignore the bad things happening into our lives. What I'm saying is a mindset of abundance first starts with thank you. My life is hard right now, but thank you because everything I have is a gift of your grace where your focus is not on the relationship you don't have, but your focus is on the relationships you do have, the relationships God has placed in your life, where your focus is not on the pay or the position you don't have, but your focus is on the fact that you have a roof over your head, that you have food on the table. Very different mindsets. Um, Jimmy Kimmel has that great bit he does uh, every Christmas, right, where he asks parents to film themselves giving terrible gifts to their kids. I'm sure you've seen it, right? And uh, most of the, uh, I mean, most of the results are pretty, like, obvious. You know, you, you know what to expect. Child gets, like, a rotten banana, starts crying, you know, throws it back at their parents, start throwing a tantrum, I don't want this. But once in a while, you get that one kid who's like an angel child, right? And you get that one kid who opens up like, it's like an old screwdriver or something. And he's like, thank you, mom and dad. Like, I love this screwdriver. I'm going to go build something, right? And he gives them a big hug. This is what abundance looks like. This is what a mindset of abundance looks like, where your first thought is not what you don't have, but what you do have. Now, the second way you know you're operating out of a mindset of abundance is generosity. Now, if I'm Jesus in this scene, someone brings me five loaves and two fish. I look out, I see 15,000 people. I'm probably thinking, okay, I'm going to start calculating this in my mind. Well, I got to eat because I'm the one healing everyone, right? I got to eat. And then, you know, maybe I can feed like Peter, maybe John. But I mean, that's about it, right? Um, if, I'm, if someone brings me that, I'm going to keep that to myself. And yet this isn't what Jesus does. He actually doesn't feed himself. It says he feeds his disciples first, and then his disciples feed the people. It's an open-handed posture. There is no clinging or hoarding tightly to the things that he has. He gets it, and he immediately begins to give it away. When you have an abundance mindset, you stop holding on so tightly to your time and your money and your resources, your first instinct is to give it away. You know, as a musician, I can tell you that I've benefited so much from people in my life, older people, who shared their wealth of knowledge and expertise with me, even at great cost to them, even when it mean, meant we were competing for the same jobs, right? And it was, a, it was a mindset where they did not see me as competition. It was a mindset of abundance where they wanted to genuinely invest in my career. They, want, they genuinely believed in me and wanted me to succeed. Um, many of you know my little brother is an actor. 
and he tells me this story all the time. And um, when he first moved out to LA and he knew very little about the industry, uh, he was barely getting auditions. And he tells this one story uh, about our friend Tim. And you saw Tim playing the bass uh, this morning. And I don't want to put him on the spot, but sorry, Tim. Um, and at the time, Tim was, was a much more seasoned actor than my brother was. And they happened to be auditioning for the same role. And Tim got to go into the audition first. And, you know, my brother's so nervous. He, you know, he doesn't, he, he has no idea what, what to expect. And he said the craziest thing happened. After, the, after Tim's audition, he calls my brother. And he says, hey, uh, hey, Justin, um, I just auditioned for this role. This is what they're going to ask you. This is what to expect. And to be honest, I think you're actually perfect for the role. That jacked my brother up um, for a long time because he said, in this industry where everyone said that these opportunities are far and few between, he said, in this industry when like, these kinds of opportunities don't ever come up, how could a human being do that for me? How could someone do that? And that is a mindset of abundance, where you do not see the things that you've been given as things that you hold on to so tightly, where you do not say, if I don't have this opportunity, I'm going to lose it. But your first instinct is to always give it away. This is what it, this is what it looks like to live with an open-handed posture. How do we get there? How do you and I then get to this place where we can have this mindset of abundance in our lives? And I would say this, we need a different story. We need a different story than the story we've been told. We've been told that the world has scarce resources. We've been told that there's not enough money and there's not enough time and there's not enough power to go around. And we need a different story. We need the gospel. And the gospel is a story of abundance, is a story that asserts that all of life comes from a generous God who loved the world into being. It's the story that offers fulfillment and meaning to all people, not just the strong and successful, but to the weak, the marginalized, and the discarded. It's a beautiful story. Even when we go all the way back to Genesis 1 and we look at the story of creation, it says God created the world and God says, everything I have is yours and I will supply all of your needs. It's a picture of abundance. But you know what happens? The serpent comes and the serpent whispers a lie into the ears of Adam and Eve and the serpent says, are you sure this God is generous? I think he might be withholding something from you. Don't you want to be like him? Just take a bite of the fruit and you can be like him. Here's something you're entitled to and you don't have. It's the lie of scarcity. And what do they do? They take a bite of that fruit, causing a massive ripple effect that poisons all of humanity. It turns Cain against Abel. It turns Jacob against Esau. It turns Joseph's brothers against Joseph. I mean, think about every dictatorship that you, every authoritarian dictatorship that you've seen. Stalin, Hitler, Kim Jong-un. When do they come to power? They come to power when things are bad because people are told the lie that, look, Things are going down the drain. The world is not big enough for all of us. We, there are not enough resources to supply all our needs. 
There are these people who are threatening what we have, so we need to destroy them in order for us to survive. It is the scarcity mindset through the generations. But Jesus comes into this world of scarcity, and he inaugurates a new kingdom. It's a kingdom where everyone gets a seat at the table. And what the disciples don't realize when he holds the loaves up and he breaks them is that he's foreshadowing the encapsulation of his ultimate abundant generosity shown to us on the cross. Because when the body of Jesus was broken, it was the God of the universe pouring every last breath out for you and me, saying, I will not withhold one piece of myself, and I will give you everything I have. This is the God that we worship. Um, those of you who've seen my posts about my mom's cooking uh, know, know that she's on a different stratosphere than most uh, moms, okay? Um, she never cooks for one. She always cooks for 20, okay? It doesn't matter if I'm the only one eating or our family is eating. Uh, my mom is always cooking for 20. There's always leftovers. There's enough leftovers to feed all our friends, all our neighbors, random strangers. It doesn't matter. Uh, it would be a failure for my mom if she cooked just enough, okay? You know, there are those people where, like, you have to have a lot of leftovers in order for the meal to be successful. And it's funny, because I meet a lot of people who have multiple siblings, and usually this happens to youngest siblings. If you have, like, multiple siblings and you're the youngest, um, a lot of my friends who are the youngest siblings, they eat really fast. And I asked them, like, why do you eat so fast? And they're like, you know, like growing up, it was like survival of the fittest. You know, I couldn't go to the bathroom or like, you know, I couldn't, I had to eat all my food really fast because if I didn't eat all my food, someone was going to snatch it. Someone was going to eat it. And that was always funny to me because that was never the case in our household. Like we could take our time. I could, I could take like a couple hour break. And I would know that the food was going to keep coming. The food never stops. I mean, Carol can attest to this. When we're at our parents' house, my mom never stops bringing out food. There is always more where that came from. So we didn't need to hoard our food. We could call up our friends and invite friends over. We could take some uh, leftovers to our strangers. And it didn't matter if one food ran out because we knew she was going to bring out something better. And at the end of the day, we'd never had to worry whether or not we would have enough because we knew who was cooking. Well, in the same way, a mindset of abundance understands who's cooking. A mindset of abundance understands that we worship an abundantly generous God, and the cross of Jesus Christ is God's guarantee that there will always be enough for you and me. The cross of Jesus Christ is our guarantee that everyone will be fed. Not one will go hungry. You don't have to fight to be loved because the cross tells you you are more loved than you will ever know. You will not have to break your back to provide for yourself and your family because the cross of Jesus Christ is God's guarantee that he will always provide for you. It may not be the way you envisioned it. It may not be how you wanted it, but he will always provide what you need. At the end of the day, what Jesus gives us is nothing short of himself. This is why he calls himself the bread of life, because he says everyone who comes to this table is going to be fed. 
everyone who comes to this table, no one's going to go hungry. And the way he feeds us is by breaking his own body on our behalf. Friends, let me just say this to close. I know this past year and a half has been like all doom and gloom. We watch the news. We, we look at the unemployment numbers. I mean, everything, it just seems like the world is, is it's, it seems like the apocalypse. And it's very easy for us to buy into the myth of scarcity. Like, oh my, if I don't, if I don't get this slice of the pie, it's going to be too late. This train is going to move on. It's so easy to buy into that story because that's the story we've been hearing all our entire lives. But this is where we need the gospel. We need a different story. We need to understand that we worship an abundantly generous God. And in a world where everyone is wondering if there will be enough for them, Jesus assures us that in him, we won't just have enough, we'll always have more than enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, so, so many of us um, have bought into the myth of scarcity. So many of us approach life as though everything we value is in short supply. And we're constantly hoarding our money, our time, our resources, our talents, not believing that we worship a God who is always open-handed with us. So this morning we pray that we would be reminded of the cross, that the cross is the single most open-handed gesture in human history when the God of the universe poured everything out for his beloved. God, would you allow that to resonate in us, that this morning that that would give us a deep sense of gratitude for what we have, and that that would empower us to live with open hands, that empower us to live generous lives, not holding on to things as though there is not enough, but being so willing to give it away, knowing that there will always be more where that came from. And so, God, we pray for trust, that we would trust that your best for us is what is best for us. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this community. May we begin to embody your generosity to one another. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.